Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. Very quickly, I just want to share a little bit about my background and my life. I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. Um, I gave my heart to the Lord when I was eight years of age. I went to a youth meeting, and at the youth meeting, they had a play about people dying and then going to heaven or to hell. And there was a guy who came down. He was dressed up real nice and had an attache case and all this. And, and uh, he said, Angel, is my name in the Lamb's Book of Life? And the angel looked and looked and said, no. And he opened it up. He said, well, I'll give you all this money and everything if you'll let me go to heaven. And she said, no, you're going to hell. And then there was a little uh, lady, a washer. She was dressed like a washerwoman. She had her mop bucket and everything coming down the aisle. And she said, is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And, and, and she looked and said, yes. And I mean, that little lady, I don't know was in the script or not but she just had a hallelujah breakdown right there when she thought about going to heaven and at the end of that service I gave my heart to the Lord by going down and praying a deep deep theological prayer I prayed I don't want to go to hell I don't want to go to hell I don't want to go to hell and that's all I said but God uh, in his mercy understood and he brought he uh, uh, accepted me as a Christian unfortunately my junior high and high school years I didn't Uh, really walk with the Lord like I should have, but praise God, I didn't get involved in things like drugs and alcohol uh, for two reasons. Number one, I'd been told in church that there was no future in that kind of lifestyle, and I believe that. And number two, I knew that if I did something like that and my dad ever found out about it, that I would learn about the reality of eternity much sooner than I wanted to. So you can decide which, uh, which of those is the most important. When I got to college, I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which really, truly turned my spiritual life around. And I was at a, a thing called a Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship Meeting. And uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically an eating meeting. And as a, as, a, as a college student, I was contractually obligated to be anywhere there was free food. So I was at this meeting, and while I was there, they had the prayer time at the end, and I didn't go forward, neither did the lady next to me. But at the end, she said to me, while we were praying, God spoke to me and said, you were going to have a ministry to young men. And I just shared with her what was going on in my life, walked out, and probably within a couple of months forgot about that. But through a series of circumstances, I found myself seven years later teaching a lecture class in Teen Challenge and which God reminded me of what Sister Gussie Turner had said to me those years before. Now I share that to simply say to you, there is absolutely nothing in my background, there is nothing in my uh, uh, pedigree that would qualify me to help people who are struggling with drug and alcohol issues, but you know what, God has used me since 1979 to do that. And so my point is, is that we, I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is the one that holds the key for lives to be changed. And I love Teen Challenge. I spent 34 years of my life in Teen Challenge. Counted every moment that I was there as a privilege. But the only problem with Teen Challenges, and praise God for what you guys are doing, is that there's not enough of them. And I will tell you, to be honest with you, and this is not to be negative at all, but, but you know, and praise God, I pray that this, this, center will be up and going and everything else but you know even if you have 10 ladies or 15 ladies or 20 ladies and all of their kids guess what that's not even going to touch the need that is in this area it's not even going to get close 
And so we, we need the church to be involved in doing things as well, in doing uh, outreach as well. I want to quickly go to the need. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but just some things to help us to understand. In the United States, there are over 15 million problem drinkers and 7 million drug addicts. That's almost 7% of the population. And about 70% or more of our people who are in jail and prison are there because of drug and alcohol-related issues. If you took all of these people and put them into their own state, it would be the third largest state in the country behind only California and Texas. In other words, there are more people with major drug and alcohol problems in our country than are in 48 of the 50 states. In 2013, there were over 900,000 people with drug and alcohol issues who realized that they had, they had a need and yet didn't, well, were not able to find any kind of help. And this is for the United States as a whole. Our focus, we actually call our ministry Rural Freedom. We use the tool of living free, but we call it Rural Freedom. And our focus is a lot of times on rural areas for a variety of reasons. 55% of all people who, dry, who die in uh, alcohol-related traffic accidents die in rural areas. A rural American is more than twice as likely <clears throat> to die from an overdose from prescription pain pills than somebody in a large city. An eighth grader in rural America is more than twice as likely to try meth as their urban counterpart. And this one really hit me. In 2015, the rate of drug overdose deaths in rural areas was higher than it was in urban areas. In 2015, there were 17 deaths per 100,000 in rural areas. And in urban areas, it was 16.2. And on top of that, the rate of overdose deaths in rural America is four times what it was in 1999. So we need to face it. <clears throat> rural America is not Mayberry anymore. And our substance abuse problem is not Otis letting himself into the jail cell on Saturday night to sleep it off. We are facing a full-blown crisis in rural America. And I don't have it in my notes, but uh, the most recent... Uh, projection for 2017 is that over 72,000 people died from various kinds of drug overdoses in 2017. But, but unfortunately, substance abuse doesn't stop with just the drugs and the alcohol. It has a lot of other impact. Abject poverty is one thing that is very, very common with, um, with people that are struggling with, with these areas. Because when you have uh, substance abuse, people are focused on taking care of their need, their quote-unquote need, their drug or alcohol issue, and they neglect their family and they neglect others. They want and expect other people to take care of them. The breakup of the family. When substance abuse comes in, the morality goes out the window. Uh, it is very, very common. The same kind of, of, of family situations that we think of as being part of urban America where you have a, a single mom with three or four kids and, and, and with, they're from all different dads and everything else in, in the home, that is very, very common in rural America now. And then finally, domestic violence and child abuse are frequently connected to substance abuse. These are the kinds of violent behaviors that are all too common and in many, many cases when you literally start digging, it is a result of substance abuse. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, man, I am so glad I came to church this morning. Because I was sort of depressed before I came, but now I'm really depressed now that I'm here. 
Well, there is good news. I heard a preacher say one time, you can't understand the good news unless you understand the bad news. So we talked about the bad news. The good news is, is God has called us to go throughout uh, the Midwest region of the United States. Actually, I'll go anywhere that somebody wants me to go. Uh, but <clears throat> the Midwest region of the United States and share with people, with churches, that they can reach out and make a difference and an impact right where they are in the lives of people that are struggling with drugs and alcohol. You see, uh, I believe, the reason I shared all that about myself at the very beginning was because I believe God can use ordinary people, whether you have a background in substance abuse or not, whether you've been trained in how to reach people with substance abuse or not, I believe that God can use anyone and everyone. In fact, let me just prove it to you this morning, okay? I'm going to prove it to you by giving you a pop quiz. Okay, my apologies to students in the room, but, you know, I know you want to get away from that, but, you know, a pop quiz. So, how many of you love God? Raise your hand. Uh, Pastor, I think we got 100%. You're, you're doing great. How many of you care about people? All right, still doing pretty good. We might have lost one or two. Appreciate your honesty. Now, this is the tough one. I warn you, this is the tough one. How many of you can learn? How many of you can receive training? Okay, we lost about 15%, but that's, okay. that's good. That's really above the norm. So if you love God, if you care about people, and if you can uh, learn and be trained, then God can use you to minister to people who are struggling with substance abuse issues. Now, how do we do this? Well, the first thing we're going to talk about is living free ministry. Bringing living free here to Sedalia because we want to be able to reach the people in our community who are struggling with all kinds of issues. Now, we won't have time to get into this right now, but we are talking about drugs and alcohol, but we're talking about a whole lot more. I don't know about you, but I've met a lot of people that were bound by things in their life that didn't have to do with drugs and alcohol, but they were just as bound as the drug addict and the alcoholic. But anyway, we recommend living free because this is a Bible-based, uh, uh, strong uh, curriculum that will help people to deal with their issues. It's led by lay people under the oversight of the pastor. We know one thing, your pastor and pastoral staff have too much on their plate to be able to do this. So we need you as lay people to come and to be a part of this. Yeah, they're going to provide oversight naturally, but we need you to be the ones who are doing this ministry. We believe that through the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God, that any life can be changed. And that's what we have seen over and over again. It's been around for over 30 years. We're in a, we've, done, we've done training in 111 countries. There's been uh, parts of the curriculum translated in over 37 languages. It's estimated that there's been over 2 million people who have been part of the Living Free small groups. So I'm here today to tell you it is an effective ministry that can work. Now, Living Free Community, I'll just mention, is when multiple churches join together and uh, minister together. Substance Abuse 101 is another thing we provide. It's a, a, a one, uh, about three and a half hour seminar that we provide. We also provide resource counseling so that uh, if there's uh, questions that come up, in fact, I was at the other Bethel, Bethel in Cape, uh, in August, and I've already talked with Pastor Phil two or three times as he's had questions, which I love to do to help Get this thing up and going in your church. And then finally, residential placement because 
there are going to be some people that will come to you and you, they're just not going to be able to get it in this local setting and they will need to go to a Teen Challenge Center. But now some people may say, well, why? Why do all this? Because after all, you know, I've, I've been around these folks before and it just seems like the more you try to help them, it doesn't do any good. It doesn't seem like they really want to change. Why should I do this? Well, one reason is because these folks are our sons and our daughters, our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends. And if we don't reach them, who is going to? But even more important, God has given us a mandate to help those who are in need. Jesus said it like this in Luke 14. Then he, Jesus, turned to the host. The next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out, the misfits from the wrong side of the tracks, and you will be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. And that should be plenty of reason for us to reach out and minister to them. But I'll be honest with you. I believe in being uh, absolutely honest and upfront about things. It's not easy work. Sometimes it's messy work. Sometimes it's time consuming. Sometimes it can really be challenging kind of work. Why should we do this? Well, we should do this. And the real bottom line of all this is because God loves them. God loves every drug addict. God loves every alcoholic. God loves every ex-con. God loves everyone as much as He loves you, as much as He loves me, as much as He loves your pastor, as much as He loves your godly grandma. God loves them. And because God loves them, we need to reach out to them with God's grace and love. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6.35, But love your enemies and do good. And lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Now get this last phrase. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now a lot of us, we don't mind being kind to somebody who's kind to us. We don't mind being kind to somebody who, is, who will take the initiative and they'll be nice to us. But it says here that our God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And I'm here today to tell you that no matter what your mental picture is of somebody who is a drug addict or somebody who is an alcoholic or an ex-con or whatever, I've worked with these folks for 30 37, 38 years, and I'm here today to tell you, once you sit down and get to know them, you're going to find out they're just like you and me. They have allowed the enemy to come in. They've allowed sin to dominate their life. Yes, but they are just like you and me. And so we need to reach out to them with the love of God and let God work in their lives. You say, but only God can change a life, Brother Jack. I mean, it, it takes a miracle to change these folks. Well, I'll grant you that. Only God can change a life. It takes God to turn somebody around. But you know what? There's more to it than this, that part of the discussion. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we have the story of Lazarus. And you know the story about uh, Lazarus was sick. Mary, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were brother and sisters. And they uh, were very close friends of Jesus. Lazarus was sick, and they sent word, the one you love, Lord, is sick. And Jesus took his sweet time, finally got there, and started 
talking to Mary and Martha. We won't read all of it, but we'll jump to verse 38 where we're going to see a very important principle. Because we're going to see, yes, only God can change a life, but there's more to the story than that. Then Jesus, verse 38, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. First of all, Lazarus was dead. And the first thing we need to understand about Lazarus is that Lazarus was dead. But you know what? We all have a lot in common with Lazarus. Because Paul says in Ephesians 2.1 that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. Before we came in contact with Jesus, we were all dead whether we realized it or not. And the most important problem that somebody who's struggling with drugs and alcohol has to overcome is the fact that they are spiritually dead. They need to be brought to life. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. I like the King James in this one. Martha objected, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> well, to put it bluntly, sometimes these folks, they stinketh. By their attitudes, by their view of life, and sometimes literally they stinketh. And you know what? That's what happens when people die. That's what happens to dead people. They decay and they start to stink. But that doesn't mean that that keeps God from doing what God wants to do. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And Jesus reminded Martha of his promise. The promise that she would see God's glory if only she would believe. And there might be some of us sitting here today saying, Brother Jack, I just don't think we are able to do this. Well, I'm here today to tell you, if you will believe, you can see God's glory manifested in people's lives. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, Jesus prayed, and then he called Lazarus out of the tomb. And yes, I agree with you. It is, we have to understand and remember that it is not by our power. It is not by our authority. It is not by our ability that people can be raised from the dead. But it is only through the power of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, that people can be raised from their spiritual death. But if that's the case, you say, Brother Jack, I mean, we've got a great church. People can come and get saved, give their heart to the Lord. And, you know, we'll just, we'll just you know, let, you know, they can just come and get saved and everything else. And, that, you know, why do we need to get involved? Isn't Jesus' power enough? Well, yes, Jesus' power is enough, but there is a role that we have to play. In verse 44, it says, The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face unwrapped, or his face wrapped with a cloth. Then Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. He was breathing. He was walking. But he still had on the grave clothes of death 
that, that he had been wrapped in, but Jesus, though he could have, didn't go and take those grave clothes off himself. He said to those around him, you unbind him and let him go. And my friends, I'm here today to tell you that's exactly what God wants us as the church of the living God to do is to begin to take off the grave clothes in people's lives. The grave clothes of drugs, the grave clothes of alcohol, the grave clothes of immorality and of greed and of anger and of depression and of grief and of envy and pride and bitterness and unforgiveness and lust. God wants us to take those grave clothes off so that person can get up and begin to live life and begin to walk through life free from all that bound them before. You see, worship is great, and that is something that, as God's people, we should always do. And I really enjoyed our worship time this morning. And it's a wonderful thing, and we can think of worship as going into the temple with Jesus. But folks, I'm here today to tell you that it is time for us. Yes, we should, as God's people, always worship. But we should not just be going into the temple with Jesus. We need to start going into the tombs with Jesus where he is raising people from the dead so we can start taking the grave clothes off of them. We need to start obeying Jesus' command to unbind them and let them go. Amen. And that's what the ministry of living free is going to do. Now, again, I want you to sign up for there. It's going to be 9 to 3 next week. Please try to get there at 10 till. But right now, we're going to finish this service with a time of prayer. And I'm going to believe God with you and pray with you that if you have loved ones who are struggling with drugs or alcohol, I'm going to ask you to come forward in just a moment. And I'm going to ask you to give me their first name and just whether it's drugs or alcohol. We don't have time for the backstory or anything like that. And then we're going to believe God to work in that person's life. And we're going to pray, and we're going to pray a very aggressive prayer. We're going to pray a prayer that says, God, do whatever is needed. God, do whatever it takes to bring them to you. Because, folks, I have come. I'm old enough, I can tell you. The bottom line in all of this stuff is where people are going to spend eternity. And everything else is a long, long distant second. They need Jesus in their life. And we're going to believe God to start that tonight, today. We're going to believe God to start breaking bondages today. To start the process. Process, whether it's a three-week process, a three-month process, or a three-year process, that right now at 1037 here on September 16th at Bethel Assembly, we're going to believe God to start the process of breaking people's bondages and start setting them free. So if you're here this morning and you have a loved one who is struggling with drugs or alcohol, I want you to come stand along the front facing the front and we I want to pray with you and believe God with you to start that the, the change in that person's life right here right now today so if you're here you have someone in that condition please come right now let's pray